0: Chris Smith started working at J&J Cafeteria in Conway at a young age, washing dishes. He eventually started working at the restaurant full time. It was a good job, until Bobby Edwards took over as manager. That's when the abuse began. Edwards stopped paying Chris and forced him to work 100 hours or more per week. He physically harmed him, verbally abused him, and isolated him from others. This went on for six years. I'm Emily Williams. This is Understand South Carolina from The Post and Courier. And this week we're talking about how that happened, how Chris got out, and what's being done to raise awareness around these kinds of crimes.
1: The question that I always came back to was, how did he wind up there? How did he wind up in a situation like that? I am Jennifer Barry-Hawes. I'm a project writer here at The Posting Courier. J&J Cafeteria is in Conway, which is the county seat of Horry County, and uh, it's about 30-minute drive inland from Myrtle Beach. It's a s- fairly small town, a river, river town, has a real pretty walk, uh, river walk, and J&J is really pretty much in the heart of the downtown area. You can see the courthouse and all from the side door of the restaurant. A lot of people from the courthouse would go over to the restaurant to eat lunch. You know, it was it was a community staple. It was an old timey kind of dinerish place. It had a lunch counter, bar stools, you know, booths, old Coca Cola signs, very kind of old fashioned. Chris is from Conway. He was born and raised there. A lot of his family members worked at this restaurant, J and J Cafeteria as did a lot of the Edwards family members. So these two families were intertwined for generations. Uh, And Chris began walking to the restaurant and washing dishes there in middle school when he was about 12 years old. So he'd go after school and wash dishes, make a little money under the table. And then as he got into high school... Uh, he was um, put into special education classes and became fairly disinterested in school, according to his mom in particular. He dropped out his freshman year and then wound up working at the restaurant full-time. Uh, so Chris has an intellectual disability. Working at the restaurant with his family, he describes as being a good situation for many, many years, uh, really until a man named Bobby Edwards became the manager. And that's when things changed. When Bobby took over, Chris and his uncle were the last of his family working there. And Chris's uncle began to feel that he was not being paid properly, so he left. And he tried to get Chris to go with him, but Chris did not want to. He, uh, by then, was very comfortable working at the restaurant. He was very familiar with his job, which was a cook. Uh, He prepared most of the food items for the buffet, And it was a familiar job, familiar people, but when Bobby came, the restaurant underwent some renovations and a new, they called it an apartment, was added to the back where there used to be a lawyer's office, and Bobby encouraged Chris to move in. And at that point, Chris had just been arrested for a minor drug charge, and it appears that that Bobby held that over his head and encouraged him to move into this apartment, which uh, had no washing machine, no kitchen, no windows, but it was a place where Chris would be right by the restaurant so we wouldn't have to worry about things like getting a ride. He didn't have a driver's license and no car, so he would be right there. But when that happened, Bobby also stopped paying him directly and began making him work night and morning shifts. And so Chris suddenly found himself in a situation where he had no money, no cash. He couldn't go anywhere. He was working constantly. Bobby told him he was putting his money into a bank account. But Chris had no real way to exercise freedoms. And so he slowly became entrapped in this situation. His mother began to notice that when she went to visit Chris at the restaurant, Bobby would say he was busy, or when she tried to call, Bobby would tell her that. Chris was busy and couldn't come to the phone. Um, And so he began to get frustrated. And at one point, his mother heard that Bobby had hit Chris on the hand with a spoon. So she gets a ride and goes up there and sees his hand is swollen, but Chris denies it. And he starts to seem distant, like he doesn't want to talk to her. And so all of these things go on. And then she also moves to Polly's Island and is taking care of her own parents and isn't fully aware of the extent of the abuse, certainly, that Chris was experiencing. There was days to where they
2: were perfectly fine.
1: Everything turned all of a sudden for, I mean, just because you didn't get, he didn't get, Chris didn't get the chicken out there on the buffet line quick enough. I mean, it just like went from everything being perfect to just because you don't have chicken out there for two minutes while he comes to the back to get more. You know what I mean? Not... It was in, in the fryer. It just wasn't out of the fryer quick enough. And that was usually Bobby's main thing,
2: him not having chicken out quick enough.
1: That's Melanie Heath, who worked with Chris as a cook at J&J. So since Melanie was a cook with Chris, she spent a lot of time with him in the kitchen, whereas a lot of the waitresses were out in the dining room serving customers. And Melanie saw one day when Bobby came in, He was just in a foul mood to begin with. He was yelling at her, yelling at Chris. They weren't cooking fast enough. It was very busy. And Bobby took a pair of metal tongs. He stuck them in the grease and then stuck them to the back of Chris's neck just like this. And, I mean, it covered almost the whole part of the back of his neck. Bobby would call Chris the N-word. He would call him... You know, lazy, stupid. And also they began to see that he would steer Chris to the back of the restaurant, to the walk-in cooler or the office or toward the back door or to the apartment. Uh, and they would hear things that sounded like slapping sounds. The waitresses and the cooks I talked to all said you could hear Bobby yelling at Chris at a minimum, even if you were a customer in the restaurant. And nobody did anything. Chris felt like he couldn't leave. He was very worried about winding up on the streets and not having any money, bearing in mind also that he did have an intellectual disability. From his perspective, he had no money because Bobby wasn't paying him other than to give him a few dollars here and there for snacks or a haircut. He had no car. He had no cell phone. He had a lot of fear. Bobby threatened him. Uh, Chris told me that he threatened to have him put in jail if he tried to leave or he told anyone. He threatened to harm his family if he told anyone. Obviously, he was under the constant fear of the physical violence. He definitely worried that the local police and other law enforcement were on Bobby's side and not his. Uh, So he had all of these things working against him. And so when he sat and thought about how to get out of the situation, he didn't see a path out.
0: Finally, in the summer of 2014, five years after the abuse began, a woman named Janine Keynes called the State Department of Social Services to report what was happening to Chris.
1: So Janine had worked at J&J back before Bobby was in the picture, as the manager and she had known his family for years and years and her daughter-in-law at one point was looking for a waitressing job and so she suggested she go to J&J and this waitress's name is Jenny Powell and Jenny did and she got a job there and then she began to see what was going on. So she would come home often in tears describing what was happening to Chris and she was extremely concerned for him. So eventually Janine her mother-in-law called DSS. Uh, Janine had worked for Horry County Disabilities and Special Needs. So she was pretty familiar with the system. Uh, She called DSS. She told me that she never heard anything back. Nobody returned her call or didn't act on her report, at least. And the abuse began getting even worse and worse and worse. It was becoming an almost daily occurrence. And so there was a week, about four months later, where uh, Bobby uh, assaulted Chris several times that week. And Jenny came home always, he's going to kill him. And so at that point, Janine realized DSS isn't doing anything. She hadn't heard anything from them. So she called the governor's office and reported it. And she also called the Conway NAACP. She was adamant that she was going to get help for this man. And I, I think everyone would applaud her for having the wherewithal to continue pressing. So the governor's office then forwarded an email to Horry County DSS saying, can you look into this and get back to me? Let me know what happens. And so at that point, DSS and Ori County X on it and two caseworkers go and basically rescue Chris. Right after he was rescued, he was staying with Janine Keynes at her house, and he was obviously extremely relieved and happy to be away from Bobby. But then he became very fearful of Bobby coming and hurting him or Bobby finding someone else to do it. He began working at a pizza place in town, and Bobby's family members would come in, and he heard Bobby was living near him. Uh, So he had this Constant fear, basically, that something that Bobby was going to cause something to happen to him. So he wasn't able to enjoy that freedom the way he should have been able to because he was too afraid. Initially,
0: Edwards faced a charge of second-degree assault and battery, a misdemeanor, with a maximum three-year sentence. Chris, his family, and the people who witnessed the abuse were all thinking the same thing. That's it? But another lawyer who looked at the case saw this crime was much more egregious than assault. This was a case of human trafficking, and more specifically, labor trafficking.
2: My name is Catherine Moorhead. I am the Director of Violence Against Women's Act and Human Trafficking Programs at the South Carolina Office of the Attorney General. I also lead the South Carolina Human Trafficking Task Force. So in my role, um, I oversee trainings and and help support different professional sectors in in the anti-trafficking efforts throughout South Carolina. Human trafficking is inclusive of sex trafficking and labor trafficking. Sex trafficking, many people are familiar with. There's lots of attention on that crime. To date, there's been little focus on labor trafficking, and labor trafficking involves the use of force, fraud, or coercion to exploit somebody through labor or the provision of services. You can have within labor trafficking, bondage labor or debt bondage, they may call it, in which somebody is needing to repay an alleged debt. So for example, if somebody is transported uh, a long distance, the trafficker may say it costs a certain amount of money to transport them. So when they work, it's just going back towards that debt that they have with the trafficker. However, what you'll see is that the work far exceeds, you know, the whatever the debt would in re- realistically be. Then you also have the the forced labor, and that could be services in a hotel, in a motel, in a restaurant, on and on and on. There's many different forms of of labor trafficking. But I think we see we see a number of of the characteristics of it in um, what happened with Christopher both the, the debt bondage and the forced labor. The threats, you know, are, are considered coercion. So when I say force, fraud, or coercion, coercion would be the psychological tactics that are used by, by traffickers, the threats, um, the shaming. But you in this case, you have the force as well, right? The, the beatings and um, the physical abuse. But also what we've seen increasing trends in traffickers targeting individuals with disabilities. Whether it be physical or intellectual disabilities, those who may have disabilities may be targets. They may have limitations in terms of um, their literacy, or they may have there may be a variety of limitations, and people are willing to exploit that and take advantage of it. It's, it's pretty disgusting stuff when when you really get into these cases.
0: South Carolina didn't have a human trafficking law in the books until December 2012. At that time, Chris was still at J&J and would be there until the summer of 2014. So while this abuse was happening, and even after, as people were trying to figure out how to get justice for Chris, there was very little awareness of labor trafficking. Even now, in 2022, advocates are still trying to increase that awareness.
2: So at the time when when Chris was identified as, you know, people were were witnessing this abuse and those that were concerned were trying to report it, the term human trafficking and the fact that it was a crime was likely not on anybody's radar. Very few law enforcement, very few prosecutors had been trained. We still sometimes encounter folks who don't understand the full definition, but we continue to try to train folks. You know, 10 years from when that leg- legislation was passed and the task force was formed, we're still educating people. We're still educating. And it's incredibly important. It's critical that we continue those efforts so that folks across South Carolina can identify and help help identify and, and, and provide supports and, you know, help us prosecute those that are offenders.
0: Chris prepared a statement for Edward's sentencing hearing. In it, he talked about the pain and the hurt that he caused, and the suffering that he still endured because of what Edwards had done. He also talked about his dream, to open his own restaurant, a place where all people of every kind would be welcome, or workers would be nice and greet everyone with kindness. At that sentencing hearing, Chris also said he wanted Edwards to receive the maximum sentence of 20 years. But the sentencing guidelines, which took into account things like Edward's lack of a major criminal history, called for 9 to 11 years. The judge came down in the middle at 10.
1: I think that's a real concern of what happens when Bobby's released and if he returns to Conway, which he presumably would because his family's there and that's where he's from. The upshot is that he owes Chris a substantial over half million dollars in restitution to pay him back for all of the hours that he did not pay him. The upshot would be that hopefully Bobby will get a job and and start paying up to Chris that will help him obviously financially, but there's no denying that the overriding feeling is is concern. Chris still fears Bobby, but he's also in a different situation. He works at a local fish market, he lives with his sister, his mother his sister's children, and and his sister's father, who has cancer. So it's a pretty full house. His sister has talked about hoping that they can get a bigger place to live. Chris sleeps on the couch, takes a bus to work, and his sister picks him up, and he's kind of fallen into a, a routine now. He's gotten therapy for PTSD, and so he has a support structure that he didn't have before. want people to be better able to recognize it, because I think one of the big problems with Chris's case was that people didn't recognize it as such. There were a lot of people who suspected and and heard things, but didn't step forward. And so obviously, we want to really encourage people to do that. The the line that the experts use a lot is that if you see something, say something. If you
0: believe you or someone you know is a victim of human trafficking or may have information about a trafficking situation, call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888 or text the hotline at 233-733 or visit humantraffickinghotline.org. You can find more resources in the show notes for today's episode. All right, that's all for today. There's a link in today's notes for Jennifer's story and photos and video from Andrew Whitaker. Some of the audio clips you heard today were recorded by Andrew Whitaker. The Post and Courier is hosting a free panel event on March 2nd at Coastal Carolina University's Johnson Auditorium about labor trafficking and why it's difficult to recognize. We have more information about how you can attend in today's show notes, or if you're listening to this episode after March 2nd, We'll include details about how you can find a recording of the event. We've also included some other resources from the South Carolina Human Trafficking Task Force. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for this podcast, email us at understandSouthCarolina at postandcourier.com. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Let us know what you think of the show. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll be back next week with a different news story from our state. Thanks for listening.